turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. At a new portion of, of Luke's gospel, the transitionary passage here uh, leading us into the parable of the sower, the next portion of Jesus' ministry. And sometimes as a pastor, you come to a passage and, and uh, at first reading, uh, you don't see all of the richness of it, and you wonder, well, what am I going to do with this passage? But with with faithful and diligent study, the, the Lord is, is good to provide. And so we will enjoy these three verses this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word, uh, which is written for you. Please give it your full attention. As <clears throat> soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means." Thus far, God's holy word. You may be seated. Let us ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, we ask now that your word will be proclaimed with boldness and that it will that it will enter into our hearts, that our hearts will be ready and prepared to hear it, just as the, the parable of the sower that we will look at in the following week, Lord willing. We pray that uh, this seed might enter in and uh, take root and grow up, uh, producing fruit in our lives. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine, if you will, that another nation with a religion aside from Christianity were to invade the United States. In fact, they come in and and, uh, take away our freedom of religion. And they try to force us to bow down to the leader of their nation and, and to worship their false gods. If that were to happen, we would long to go back to the days when our country had the freedom of religion, allowing us to meet as we do Lord's Day after Lord's Day right here at Christ Covenant Presbyterian Church, worshiping our God with absolute freedom. How devastated would we be? Not crushed, but devastated we would be if this were to happen. We would long for our freedom once again. But now imagine that you are living in the days of Israel under the theocracy where ultimately the true and living God was your king. But on account of the apostasy of your nation, all of the blessings of the kingdom were taken away from you as a wicked nation came in 
and conquered your kingdom and took you into exile. We would long to go back to the days of religious freedom if someone were to invade the United States and persecute us, but try to imagine the depth of Israel's longing to once again possess the kingdom of the true and living God. While in exile, God spoke to his people through the prophets and he promised to restore that kingdom to them. But the kingdom would not be as it was in the days before the exile. He promised them a much greater kingdom, a kingdom that was higher, that was spiritual and that was imperishable. Daniel 7, 9 and following. A kingdom that would spread unto the ends of the earth. Isaiah 2.2 and Micah 4.2. A kingdom that would bring judgment against those that did not submit to King Yahweh's rule. Psalm 2.8 and following in Isaiah 24.21. A kingdom where righteousness is established. Isaiah 32.14 and following. A kingdom with unprecedented peace and blessing. Amos 9 through 11 and Isaiah 11, 6 and following. A kingdom that brings its citizens salvation from their enemies, especially from evil and death. Isaiah 25, 7 and following. Zephaniah three fifteen. A kingdom ruled by the Messiah who would be from the line of David, yet would be called mighty God. In other words, he would be human, yet divine. Isaiah 9, 6 and following. A kingdom in which this Messiah would come and proclaim all of this good news to his people. Now, with this prophetic landscape in view, Luke, in our passage this morning, writes, He, that is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. The Messiah had come. His kingdom was breaking into this world. The good news of the kingdom was being proclaimed. That's what this passage is telling us. But the rest of this introductory or or transitional passage notes the peculiar means in which the kingdom would come and grow and expand. So peculiar, in fact... It is absolutely foolish to the world. And that is how we will approach this passage this morning. We will look first at the the proclamation of the kingdom. And then we will look at the peculiar expanse of the kingdom. And then finally, the foolishness of the kingdom. These three verses here in Luke's gospel are are transitional verses that introduce us to the next phase of Jesus' preaching ministry. 
a preaching ministry that consisted of proclaiming and preaching the good news of the kingdom of God in a new area. You see, the Messiah had come into the world and was ushering in his kingdom, the, the kingdom of God. And this is evident throughout the Gospels in that the moment that Jesus' ministry launched, Mark recorded him as saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Later in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is recorded as saying, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. And on another occasion, Luke records Jesus telling the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom was being established with the coming of the Messiah. And he was traveling through cities and villages proclaiming the good news of it. The first verse of our passage is certainly proof that the, that the things that were prophesied in the Old Testament, those verses that I referenced earlier in the sermon, that they were all being fulfilled. The coming of the kingdom was happening. But perhaps this verse here in Luke chapter 8 displays the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 more than any other. Isaiah had spoken of the coming Messiah and his reign. And here's what he said. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet. I find it interesting that the previous passage in Luke that we looked at last week records a woman anointing Jesus' feet. And then immediately, where does Luke take us? He says that those two feet traveled throughout cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Coming of the Messiah and his kingdom brought good news. And you can imagine how it must have made Israel feel after they had spent so long in exile. Even after returning to the land, they were still being ruled over by foreign oppressors. And now their Messiah comes and proclaims the good news of the kingdom. You can imagine how they must have felt. But if Israel was simply expecting the Messiah to free them from their bondage to Rome and to establish simply a national kingdom, then their expectations were too low. 
Christ had come to release them from a much greater bondage. Israel's exile, whether we're speaking of their exile into Assyria or or Judah's in Babylon, uh, both of these exiles were illustrative of a much greater exile that all of mankind finds themselves in. Sin has exiled us from God and placed us under its bondage. And it was from this bondage that Christ had come to free his people. This was the good news that was being proclaimed. Salvation from sin was coming. A kingdom of peace was being established because Christ had come to wage war against the powers of darkness. What this means is that what is good news for some is at the same time bad news for others. Judgment against God's enemies comes with the kingdom. You see, if you are aligned with the powers of darkness, then judgment can be expected. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. The kingdom comes not just with salvation, but also with judgment. Which is why when Jesus announced that the kingdom was at hand, that we read earlier in Mark's gospel, he concluded that statement saying, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. See, the reality is that we are all enemies of God due to our sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we must repent of our sins and turn to Christ for salvation. Those two things happen simultaneously. Repentance and belief. You see, you can't turn from your sins, repentance, and turn to a Savior that doesn't save. You must repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, you can't turn to Christ without having turning from your sin. You must repent and believe the gospel. When Christ inaugurated his kingdom in the first coming, the judgment fell upon him for his people's sins. But when the kingdom is consummated, when he returns... Judgment will come for all those who are not with him, who have not repented of their sins and turned to Christ for salvation. What is good news for some is bad news for others. And this brings us to our second section. You see, in between the two comings of Christ is a time of growth and expanse for the kingdom that he had inaugurated at his first coming. And that is what, what many of the kingdom parables that Jesus speaks about 
refers to, the, the expanse and the growth of the kingdom. See, that's where Luke's really about to take us into a kingdom parable. It's, it's the foundationary parable that helps us to understand all other parables. Many of these parables are kingdom parables. They speak about the expanse and the growth of the kingdom. For example, in the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. See, when the kingdom first comes, it is like a small seed. But that seed, one of the tiniest seeds of all, the mustard seed, over time grows up to be a tree. And so too the kingdom may seem small and insignificant at first, but it grows up to be a glorious kingdom where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are able to find shelter in it. Hence, the birds of the air make their nests in it. See, the kingdom began with Jesus and a small group of men whom he named apostles. Our passage this morning notes that they were with him, that the twelve were with him. They followed him everywhere he went, learning from him. They were still in what we have called the greatest internship of all time. They followed him through the cities and villages as he preached the good news of the kingdom. And this is how the kingdom grows, by the proclamation of the gospel. In another kingdom parable, Jesus said, it's Mark chapter 4, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In this parable, again, we see that the kingdom has a beginning. It begins with the sower sowing his seed. And over time, the seed grows until the crop is ready for harvest. See, Christ is the sower and the seed is the word of God that is proclaimed. It is the good news of the kingdom. Our passage in Luke is telling us that Christ is sowing the seed. And the disciples were being prepared to follow in his footsteps. Soon they would be sent out in twos to proclaim the kingdom of God on their own. In Luke chapter 9, verse 6, the next chapter that we will come to in this series, it says that Jesus sent them out and they departed and went through the villages preaching the good news, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. After Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples would continue his mission. And today, those of us who are disciples also continue Jesus' mission. See, when the gospel is proclaimed today, it is Christ's 
word that is being proclaimed. And this is how the kingdom grows and expands. Jesus has commanded us to make disciples of all nations. And concerning his return, concerning that time of harvest, he says this, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. You see, we live in the age of the expanse of the kingdom. And it grows by the sowing of the gospel seed. This passage also tells us of a peculiar way that the ministry of Christ was supported. One means in which the kingdom grows. Luke tells us that And also, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. And when you read this passage, you realize that Jesus received support from and for his ministry. See, these women out of their means supported Jesus and the twelve as they ministered. Now, this is interesting. You see, the king of the kingdom is God himself. He possesses all things. He is sovereign over all things. Yet he received support from others. J.C. Ryle notes, of course, he needed not their help. All of the beasts of the forest were his, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. That mighty Savior who could multiply a few loaves and fishes into food for thousands could have called forth food from the earth for his own sustenance if he had thought fit. That's not what he did. He allowed others to minister to him. In like manner, Christ still allows people to minister to him. During this expanse of the kingdom, the church, which is Christ's body, needs support. Because when you support the church, you are supporting Christ. It takes money to spread the gospel. Missionaries, pastors, and evangelists need money to eat, to wear clothes, to travel, and so on and so forth. It takes money to pay the bills for this building so that the good news of the kingdom of God can be proclaimed Lord's Day after Lord's Day. So that the ministries that we do here will continue to be done week after week. It's why we have the thank offering every year for the OPC. You see, Christ does not need all of these things to advance his kingdom. But this is the peculiar manner that the Lord has been pleased to use in the spreading of the gospel. 
J.C. Ryle went on to say, No doubt it would be easy for him to convert the Chinese or Hindus in a moment and to call grace into being with a word as he created light on the first day of this world's existence. But he does not do so. He is pleased to work by means. He condescends to use the agency of missionaries and the foolishness of man's preaching in order to spread his gospel. He lets Christians be fellow workers with him. This brings us to the foolishness of the kingdom. You see, the way the kingdom is ushered in is absolutely foolish to the world. To the world, this kingdom seems weak. God has always operated in a way that is contrary to the ways of the world, hasn't he? For example, who would take a nation that was least among all the peoples of the earth and from them bring forth the Savior of the world? A Savior who would never leave the borders of tiny little Israel as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And in choosing men that would carry on his mission, he chose 12 ordinary men. There were no scribes, no Pharisees, no priests, none of the religious elite. Just 12 ordinary men who traveled with him through cities and villages as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom in tiny little Israel. And from there... The kingdom would spread unto the ends of the earth. Who would expand their kingdom like that? And if that is not foolish enough to the world, he also traveled with a group of women whom he was dependent upon for financial provision. Now that's not that big of a deal to us today. But you have to understand their culture And their culture didn't come from the Bible. Unfortunately, outside uh, understanding and outside treatment of women had come into their culture. But in their culture, women were held with low esteem. Yet Jesus assigns a place of honor for them. This is utter foolishness to the world. But that is how the kingdom is ushered in, in weakness. The good news of the kingdom is that the God of the universe came down and identified with the creation that he made. It's unthinkable. The exalted king of the universe came into an estate of humiliation. He experienced all the vicissitudes of man, yet without sin. The God of the universe hungered and thirsted. He became tired and needed to rest. He experienced anger and sadness. He experienced pain and death. And not just any death. Death on a tree. There was no more shameful a death than death 
on a cursed cross. Yet his death is the ground of the good news of the kingdom of God. It is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Said in other words, the foolishness of the kingdom is the power of God unto salvation. What foolishness. What foolishness. And it doesn't get any more foolish than saving the likes of you and me. For as Paul told the Corinthians, so likewise he tells us today, not many were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He also uses you and me, mere earthen vessels, to be his fellow workers. He uses ordinary men to preach the gospel, and I am a prime example. Nobody is more ordinary than me. And he gives ordinary people like you gifts to build up his church, to build up his body. And this means that it is in your weakness that you are strong. It's not in your strength. If it was in your strength, then you would be glorified. It is in your weakness that you are strong, that God might be glorified. In light of all this, I also think this passage speaks the great importance that women have in the kingdom. So the women of this passage were either ill or demon-possessed, as the text tells us. Before Jesus healed them, they were not anybody that somebody would want to build a kingdom with. Yet many of these women would go on to be faithful to Jesus All the way to the cross. You see, when all of Jesus' disciples ran in fear at his arrest and crucifixion, both Mary Magdalene and Joanna were among those who were named to be with Jesus at his death and were the first to hear of the glad tidings of the resurrection. Norval Geldenheis writes, What a challenge and inspiration it must be for every woman to consider that. While nowhere in the four Gospels is mention made of any woman who were hostile to Jesus. There were numerous references to ministration and marks of honor which they accorded him. Women have a wonderful place in the kingdom of God. Their role may not be the same as men in the church, but that does not make their role any less important than the man's. The teaching responsibility may have been reserved for Jesus and the twelve, but these men could not have done what they did without the support of these women. At our preaching conference this weekend, our speaker, R. Kent Hughes, often 
referred to his wife and the ministry that she had for him and to him. And on more than one occasion, I heard someone, as he was speaking of her, say, behind every good man is a good woman. And that is especially true in God's kingdom. It is true of Christian moms as they raise their children. It is true of Christian wives as they labor alongside of their husbands in the ministry, whether he's a pastor or an elder or deacon or a layperson. And it was true of the women in our passage that supported Jesus in the twelve. Beloved, the good news of the kingdom, it's continuing to be proclaimed today. The Greek word in this text for bringing the good news is uangalizamai, which is where we get our word evangelize. When we evangelize today, Christ's word continues to go out and the kingdom continues to grow and expand. And God uses all of us as means to accomplish this. Whether we are called to be the ones who preach and teach the gospel or we are to support the ministry behind the scenes, we all have important roles to play. Let the faithfulness of the women in our text be an example to all of us to support Christ by the gifts and blessings that he has given to us as he continues to build his kingdom of foolishness. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this kingdom We thank you that uh, you sent Christ into the world and that, that the good news has been proclaimed. The good news has been accomplished. And salvation has been secured. And we pray, Lord, that you will make us like these men and like these women. We ask that you make us like Christ in this manner. That we might go out and share the good news to the lost. We pray this in his name. Amen.